today and welcome to another great message from Mr. Christian Outreach Church. We pray you'll be inspired and equipped by this teaching. For more information on Noosa Christian Outreach Church, please check out our website at noosacoc.org.au. Enjoy. Thanks, Ben. We're a part of an amazing church, aren't we? There's so much great stuff going on. Let alone our amazing vision. Okay. So I, I have two sons. I have Joel, the firstborn of Jamie and Tegan, who's five years old. And then there's Toby, the younger brother of Joel, the firstborn to Jamie and Tegan. And I love to watch these two as they interact and as they grow and the little characters develop. Um, they're very similar in some ways, and then they're very different in other ways, much like us in here. We have similarities and we have differences. I want to share some of those with you this morning. Both Joel and Toby love doing stuff. They just have to be busy. They're going to be running around, playing stuff, building stuff, wrecking stuff, just busy with their hands, doing everything. You asked Ben Madden Holmes, I can't see Ben this morning. He came over a couple of weeks ago and he was, we watched the boys as they were busy doing their stuff and within about two minutes he looks at me and he goes, man, I'm glad I had girls. (laughs) (laughs) So they love love doing stuff. They can both talk your ears off. They've often got something very important to tell you and it's often at bedtime. Trying to tuck them in, Dad, wait, I've got something really important I've got to tell you. Um... And he'll come up with something ra- completely random. <laughs> they both are very loving and compassionate. And they're both quick to show that love and compassion to people, especially in their times of needs. Now, here's some of the differences. Joel can be very neat and tidy. As a baby, he couldn't stand to have any poo in his nappy. And he was quick to let us know. He'd get very agitated and cry and whinge about it. His... Um, High chair, he couldn't stand his high chair to be messy. We've got photos somewhere of him mid-meal wiping down his high chair, (laughs) getting the food off it, picking it off his clothes. (laughs) He's a funny kid. Toby, on the other hand, he's not too bothered with mess. He'll go out, he'll get every toy and activity out they've got. He'll spread it all around the house to the point where he can't actually do any of it because it's such a mess. Then he'll go outside and he'll do the same out there. He still manages to get his breakfast everywhere, every morning. On the table, on the floor, on the stool, on his legs and his tummy, and you even get it on his head. So he's definitely not too bothered with mess. Joel can be very detailed. He's put things away carefully. He has systems and ways of doing things. And you cannot, don't break those systems or try and do anything different. It's got to be like this, Dad. You've got to do this first, and then you do that. You put the wee bix in, then the milk, and then the honey. Don't put the honey on first. We all sorts of trouble. And Toby, oh, he doesn't. He's not worried about detail or systems or anything like that. Joel loves to be with people. Even from as he was a little baby, he just loves to have people around. Don't necessarily have to be a high-level interaction. He just wants to know that there's someone in the room with him. Toby, on the other hand, likes to be on you and on people. Just being in the room isn't enough. He wants to climb all over you, wants to hug you and kiss you, tell you that he loves you sit on your lap or anywhere else. Joel is very sensitive to words. A harsh word can cut him very deep. Toby, on the other hand, is not too bothered with all that listening stuff, but he's very quick to say something, if you do say something harsh, to put you back in line. 
Joel's a thinker. He'll think about stuff for ages. He'll be thinking and his little cogs are turning, something that happened during the day. And all of a sudden he was blowed out with some random thing in the middle of a completely unrelated situation. Hey, Dad, you know when you blink, your eyelids, they clean your eyes. And when you sleep, your eyelids clean your eyes all night. Bet you didn't know that. Toby is fun and loving. He doesn't think too much about stuff. He just gets on with whatever he's getting on with. Don't need to think. Now, perhaps the most upsetting thing for Joel is to be falsely accused of something. That's, that's not good. Toby would tell me several times a day at completely random times that he loves me. We'll be sitting down watching a movie or watching some TV. He'll turn around to me and go, I love you, Dad. We're sitting having breakfast and he's hoeing in. He'll look up and go, I love you, Dad. I might even be wiping his bottom after he's done what he does. And he'll look at me and go, I love you, Dad, as he hangs on to my legs. <laughs> Joel will say it, but he's not quite as obsessed. <laughs> Abby, on the other hand, is just cute. Doesn't really do anything yet, but she will. Well, I want to start off today with a story. I was recently putting away some shorts and T-shirts into my shorts and T-shirts drawer. Everyone got a shorts and T-shirts drawer? Somewhere you put your shorts and T-shirts. And um, I was having trouble getting them in. I was having to roll them up really tight, stuff them in. So I thought, I, it's time to go through some clothes and chuck some old stuff out. So I pulled my drawer out and started making some piles. And I'm sure we've all got these selections of clothes. We've got our, our good shorts and T-shirts. Now ones we might wear out to a party or somewhere we want to look nice. We have uh, our favorite shorts and T-shirts, ones that we just want to wear everywhere all the time to the point they actually disintegrate and fall off your body. You have your around the house shorts and T-shirts. You have your old shorts and T-shirts, the ones you might wear when you're mowing the lawn, doing work, work around the house, you know, doing man stuff. Then I found a bunch of shorts and T-shirts that were due for a demotion. These ones hadn't come out for a while. So they maybe they had a hole in them, they had stains on them. You know, the armpits are all white and hard from years of deodorant. <laughs> Do you all get that? Don't tell lies. <laughs> maybe they were too small. I don't know how that happens. And maybe they were too big. But the most perplexing of all these various piles of shorts and T-shirts was this pile that I, they were brand new and I'd never worn them. No stains, no holes. They weren't too big. They weren't too small. i just never worn them. What, what is that all about? So I began to ponder the origin of these mystery shorts and t-shirts. Some of them were given to me as gifts from a loved one as a gesture of love towards me and appreciation. Unfortunately, <laughs> I didn't think they looked very good on me or uh, they weren't my style or my genre or whatever reason. They never came back out of the drawer. But the most intriguing of this most perplexing selection were a small collection of shorts and t-shirts that I had bought myself and never worn. Now, it's one thing for someone to buy you a gift and you not wear it, because they're just having a go. Maybe they missed it. But when you buy yourself some clothes and you don't wear them, that's a little bit random, isn't it? So I started to think, what have I done to go out and to buy, pay money for these clothes and then never actually wear them? Why didn't I take them back? For some reason, I'd gone to the point in making the purchase and I was too late to go back. Now, let me just tell you, the point of no return in a purchase is very different for a guy than it is for a girl. Now, a guy 
the point of no return for a guy is when we tell a staff member, hey, I'll take that. It's not when we get to the cash register to pay for it. It's definitely not when we walk out the door. And it's definitely not when we get home. All right? You understand that? Guys don't do the taking back of the items for your money thing very well. Girls, on the other hand, have different rules. So I'm realizing, as I ponder my past purchases as a patron in particular establishments in times past, that these store owners were very, very clever. They have this ability to create an atmosphere that was so inviting and so convincing that I was buying clothes that maybe I didn't need or didn't, I wasn't going to wear. They were outside of my usual thing. We sit all the time with marketing, don't we? People spend hours and hours and, and lots and lots of money trying to come up with slogans and um, cool logos and things to make uh, items and services and whatever attracting and appealing and necessary and important to all of us so that we're going to buy them. So now what we believed two minutes ago before we saw the advertisement is no longer it's, it's no longer true or necessary. Something in my belief system has changed when I saw that ad. Now I've got to have that thing. I've got to wear that cowboy hat and that flannel shirt, even though I've got no other cowboy gear. <laughs> we walk into a restaurant and we buy food. We go to buy a car. We um, buy a computer, buy a new guitar. Very important. You go to buy coffee. Whatever we're going to do, we're going to walk into a space. might be a website. might be a shop where someone has very carefully work to create an atmosphere to get us to relax and to make whatever they got super cool. So you just got to have it. Agree? (laughs) The intention is to get people to feel relaxed and feel comfortable and make the space so inviting and appealing that if we had any desire to buy something, now that decision was a no-brainer. The problem for some of us is we walk out with a bunch of stuff that we didn't actually need and we weren't going to use. I could have walked into a surf shop with the intention of buying a cap, walked out with a couple of pairs of boardies, a new T-shirt, some skate shoes, and, and a new deck. problem is I don't skate, so that's completely irrelevant. It's not going to work. I think you're starting to get my point. All right, have a think about this. You and I are the shop front for the kingdom. We are creating an atmosphere, whether we realize it or not. And we're not talking about good and bad, We're just talking about intentionally creating something, and hopefully it's good. The question for you and I is, what atmosphere are you and I creating around our lives today and tomorrow and the next day? Because most people that we, most people that are going to receive salvation are going to do it because someone has led them there. Some person has showed him the love of God. Someone has created an atmosphere where truth and love and hope abound, and they've gone, I need that. Someone spent time with them. Someone has spoken those things into their lives. God's calling us to partner with him to see his kingdom established on earth, and he's going to do it through us, through his shop front. The environment we create around our lives is incredibly influential. It actually impacts our own view of the world around us. It will set a mood, and it can actually influence other people's decision-making. Think about it. People are going to make a decision to follow Christ because of something we've done or said or a lifestyle that we've led. That's a big decision. This influence will come from what you and I believe about ourselves and about God. 
Let me give you an example. A well-thought-out shop store influences my experience as a shopper. If I can walk out of a shop with something that I had no intention to buy before, then at some point what I believe has been shifted. I believe I am that cowboy and I do need the Akubra hat and the flannelette shirt because the shop was that cool. We see it with Jesus, don't we? He, he goes and calls his disciples. He challenges them to think differently about themselves to the point that they completely leave their livelihood. They, can, they will complete change and just follow this guy to preach the gospel. It's huge. And we have the same calling to influence people by who we are. And that comes from understanding whose we are and what we've been given. I've often thought about evangelism. I thought, wouldn't it be just so much easier if we could just crack open the Bible, read a couple of scriptures, and people would just fall down, repent, accept Jesus as their saviour. But it doesn't happen like that, does it? Play our favourite City Point or Hillsong song, same thing happened. Fall down. It doesn't happen. People are looking for truth, and they're looking at the atmosphere that we're creating with our lives. God is calling us to partner with him to see his kingdom come. Not just quote some powerful line of scripture, maybe blow the dust off. It doesn't work like that. We, we've got to establish it. Maybe we can do the star jumps like Belinda. It's not going to work, is it? So we've made this statement this year, and that is that we recognize that we are a house of inheritance. Now we're starting to think long term. How is what I'm going to do now going to impact the next generation? What do my decisions look like tomorrow? What sort of platform am I creating for my children's children? What is my life going to sound like as it echoes into the future? We understand that our beliefs, our decisions and our attitudes create different atmospheres around our lives. So how will they affect tomorrow, next week, next year, so on and so on? And everyone who comes into contact with those. I've read this recently. Um, it says, good people are like trees and they leave. Not really. It says, good people are like trees. They turn bad air into good. They provide shade. They bear fruit. They produce seed. They grow strong. They withstand the storm. And when they die, they let their remains be what others need to live. I'll read it again. The good people of Nusa COC turn bad air into good. They shift atmospheres. They provide shade. They nurture and they care for people. They bear fruit. They feed people. They produce seed. They bring life. They grow strong. They're dependable. They withstand the the storm. They develop strong character. And when they die, their legacy will inspire the next generation. Just like we heard from uh, about Ray, you know, his, his life inspires the next generation that there's no point that God cannot reach you. There's no point that you're too far that he can't save you. So you and I have been called to make disciples, influence humanity and partner with God to see his kingdom come. But none of that can happen without us first correctly believing who we are and what we actually have in him. The word tells us, work out our salvation daily. Work out where your hope is and who you trust in Every single day. Don't, don't forget about it. Don't let it fall away. Don't put it behind you. Remind yourself. Work out your salvation daily. I love the concept of the mezuzah. It works well here. You know the mezuzah that we're looking at this year? As we mezuzah our worlds, our calendar, 
our house, our relationships. It's actually helping us to create a consistent, truth-based platform for our lives each and every day, which is very important. Work out your salvation daily. We've, we have these reminders that say, this is our God, this is the God that we serve, and this is what he says about me today and forever. We take our lives, the good, the bad, the ugly, all our struggles and all our successes, our fears and our strengths, and we submit them to who God is. It's very, very important. We don't want our lives to be subject to our circumstance. We want our circumstance to be subject to who God is. All right, let's grab our single function device. Everyone bringing their single function device. Also known as the Bible. Flip it open to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1. So we read here as God is, um, prepares Joshua to lead the children of Israel across the Jordan. Often as I sit with people and, and talk with them and pray with them and share with them, I, f- I often find myself drawn to this, um, this particular passage and this, you know, the entire kind of story of the children of Israel. It's very powerful. It's got loads of great examples for us in life. And I feel like we have these children of Israel experiences a lot. Crossing of the Jordan moments in our lives. It's a great picture of us and our salvation journey. We see the magnitude and the reality of the cross and Jesus Christ in this picture. As he calls us out of slavery to redeem our identity as his children. As he victoriously fights our battle and provides for us. Then calls us into this promised land that he has promised us. In a life, in partnership with him. Where there is an abundance of milk and honey. But we are required to work and to fight with him to see his kingdom come, aren't we? So we can also learn from this story some, you know, some other areas of our lives. Perhaps God is leading you out of Egypt today. And out of slavery and out of captivity. Now you seem to be having a wilderness experience and wondering what God is up, what God is up to. You know, we read that, that um, after this miracle and all these um, miracles that God had performed with Moses and they'd finally got the children of Israel out of Egypt. They get into the, to the wilderness and they're making their way to the promised land. God's providing shelter for them and food. Their clothes don't wear out, etc., etc., etc. And and they turn and they moan. They say, why have you brought us out here, God? You, you're going to kill us? You want us to die out here? We would have been better off back in Egypt in slavery where we had we had everything that we needed provided. They're missing. They're missing these miracles that God was doing for them. Perhaps you're looking around for that today. Perhaps you're looking at the Jordan from a distance trying to build up the courage to take the first step. You're weighing up the pros and cons of the supernatural wilderness provision versus the partnership of what seems like a lot of hard work in the promised land. For some of us, each day we get up and we feel like we're standing at the edge of the Jordan, feet in the wilderness, promised land in sight but the change and the challenge ahead is too daunting the provision in the wilderness is too good to be true like i said before we've, we've got provisions there our clothes and our shoes don't wear out we have an abundance of food falling from heaven waiting for us when we get up in the morning we have shelter by day and warmth by night my comfort here is too good to lose but 
The sight of the desert is depressing and it's uninspiring. You know you've been created for more and you've been promised more. You've been called for more. You know the power and the acts of God. Maybe you're doubting if you really know God. Certainly not like Moses did. Maybe you're looking into the promised land knowing your time is coming, but the rumors of the negative reports of the ten spires all those years ago are playing on your mind and they're causing you to doubt and to second guess the promise that God's put in front of you. The giants, maybe they are too big. Maybe they're right. We don't stand a chance. Is this actually right for me? Is God really big enough? So let's look at Joshua chapter 1. Get us up to speed. Joshua is Moses' successor. Moses and the rest of the children of Israel had missed their opportunity to get into the promised land after getting so close. So Joshua and Caleb were the only two left from that generation that were going to cross over the Jordan and into the promised land. Moses, who was 120 years old, along with the rest of that generation, had now died. and It was time for a new leader and it was time for the children of Israel to take, it, take the promised land. So here we read God is talking to Joshua. We'll go from verse 3. He says, Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river and all the land of the Hittites and to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. Be strong and of good courage. For this, for this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. Verse 8 says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according, according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. And verse 9 says, I have, have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Isn't that an amazing part of Scripture? We find, I find six promises in there that God is giving us to take our promised land. Six promises to think, at, think about as we work out our salvation daily. Six promises to empower you and me to take ground in our lives every day from today. Six pieces of furniture for our shop front. Not forgetting where our shop front for the kingdom Let's have a look. Number one, verse three, dominion. He is giving you and I dominion. Verse three says, Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you. See, the children of Israel were receiving the promise that God had with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We read about it in Genesis chapter one. It says, Fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion. We read script after scripture in Ephesians where we read that he has seated us in heavenly places at his right hand in Christ. He's given us power and dominion today. Principalities and powers are under our feet. Come on. Number two, authority. Verse five says, no man shall be able to stand before you. I will not leave you and I will not forsake you. 
know this church, that nothing will stand between you and God's promise, provided that you step into it. You might have to fight for it, but remember, he will not leave you and he will not forsake you. Don't be afraid of the fight, because on the other side of the fight, that's where the victory is. As long as we keep avoiding the battle, we're going to forfeit that victory. Now, knowing that we have been given dominion and authority is all well and good, and it's very warm and fuzzy and makes me feel nice. But if we don't act on it, then it's of no value to us. It's completely useless, isn't it? I think about a police officer who never puts on their uniform, doesn't drive their police car, doesn't use their lights and the siren and all that fun stuff they get to do. They don't actually take hold of their authority. It's completely pointless. They can have all the training, the qualifications, the certificate, do the little thing where they get handed the what's name and have the hat on and whatever they do to become police officers. But if they don't grab hold of that, then it's completely useless to them. It's completely pointless. I feel like God wants us to get this today. He can lead us to the promised land. But if we don't accept the invitation and all that he has... If we keep sneaking back to the other side of the Jordan every time it gets too hard, then we'll struggle to see his breakthrough in our lives. Like the police officer, we need to exercise our authority, which is his, that he's given to us. We need to believe that he is who he says he is, and he is, sorry, we need to believe that he is who he says he is, and we have what he says that we have. We have dominion and authority through the power of Christ at the cross being restored to us. Getting to the banks of the Jordan and not choosing to make our way to the other side is like getting to the cross, receiving our salvation, then just waiting for the day where we waiting for the day that we step into eternity. Not realizing that we have dominion and authority for today and the rest of our lives. Now it's our choice as to whether or not we will take it up and activate that in our lives. Number three, inheritance. Verse six says, be strong and have good courage. The inheritance I swore to your fathers is yours. The inheritance is ours. Don't doubt it. Believe it. Be strong and be courageous. Again, it's a choice. Choose to be strong with God. Choose to be courageous with God. Don't do it on your own. Do it with him. Christ has left us an inheritance of life eternal. This is where our hope lies. Hang on to that. Be brave. Be courageous. Be strong. Number four, prosperity. Verse seven says, Be strong and of good courage. Do according to the Lord that you may prosper wherever you go. This is prosperity part one, right? Do according to the law. Often, we're quick to push the law aside, aren't we? So well, Christ came... He kind of fulfilled it, and now we're into this new thing. Which is right. He's fulfilled it, and we are into a new thing. But it's still relevant for us today. It's still packed full of wisdom. You want to see prosperity in all areas of your life? Try applying the wisdom that you find in the law. See your relationships prosper. See your work prosper. Your finances, your business. See your soul prosper. See your self-worth prosper. See your relationship with God prosper. Do according to the law. Prosperity continues into verse 8. It says, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. Then you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. So this is prosperity part two. 
Now that you're doing according to the law, allow your doing become your being. Often we assume the position of our doing coming out of our being. But this is a situation where perhaps it's going to work around the other way. These habits that we're creating, this wisdom that we're following and we're stepping into is actually shaping who we are. Meditate on the word. Meditate on the law. Speak it out. Allow this wisdom to shape your lives. Let it influence us from the inside out and let it change your heart. Number five, God's presence. Be strong and of good courage. Don't be afraid, for the Lord your God is with you. God is waiting. He's saying, be strong. He says, be courageous and know that I am with you. I love that scripture in Jeremiah. It says, I know the thoughts I have for you, plans to prosper you, to give you hope and to give you future. This is what God wants us to believe. Here's the atmosphere that you and I get to create in our lives. Remember, it's our choice. He's given it there. He's laid it down in front of us. Are we going to pick it up and take it and run with it? Put on the garment of praise. It's a choice. We don't just accept Christ and then all of a sudden everything falls into place and we see all these things come to fruition. We accept Christ and then we start this journey of sanctification, picking up these truths and exercising his wisdom in our lives every day. I love it that part of our vision also this year is, is to get around the Bible. Josh says, you know, let's try and take this everywhere. Take it with us, a single function device. Read it. Pick it up. Start prophesying over our lives. Start prophesying over the lives of the people around us. It's going to change our lives. Gift a Bible to someone. That's a cool idea. Like the children of Israel, we need to put our feet in the water first. We actually need to take a step. God's calling us to take a step. And like I said before, this is, we see it with salvation. We take a step to accept what he's done for us. And then we see it on smaller scales, different uh, opportunities or different situations in our lives. God's saying, take a step and trust in me. Maybe it's a bigger season that you're going through. Take a step and trust in me. If the band wants to jump up, that'd be cool. So as we mezuzah our worlds, here's the mood that we set. This is our point of sale. This is our advertising. This is our shop front. This is the furniture and the props that we use to set up our life, to set up this shop front that's creating an atmosphere for us and for anyone else who come into contact with that. The key for us is to believe it. If we don't believe it, then the enemy is not going to care. He'll do all he can to get us to doubt and to second guess about these truths. When we do believe it, when we start to speak it out, when we start proclaiming over our lives and prophesying it, it will draw the attention of heaven. It will establish his dominion in our lives every day and in the people around us as well. The world starts to look differently, starts to taste differently, starts to smell different because we're allowing him to shift our point of view. See, his desire was to get us from underneath all of life and underneath all that rubbish and sit us up with him. He seated us in heavenly places. We need to believe that. We don't have to struggle stiff, sifting through all the rubbish of life. We need to allow him to sit us up there with him, to look down at it and go, right, this is what I'm going to do. This is what the wisdom of God tells me about this situation. He doesn't just take it away. He gives us the power. He's given us dominion so we can walk through it. 
So imagine this, a church full of atmosphere-creating, kingdom-of-heaven shop-front windows that are taking their community by storm. That's us, isn't it? Where what we believe is truth, and it's influencing people around us for all the right reasons. Try reminding yourself of these promises as you mezuzah your worlds and see the change. Dominion, authority, inheritance, prosperity, and his presence. Say it after me. I have dominion. I have authority. I have inheritance. I have prosperity. And God is with me. Do you feel it? Do you believe it? I have dominion. Come on. I have dominion. I have authority. I have an inheritance. I have prosperity. And His presence is with me every day. Speak that out over your lives. Speak it over the people who are in your lives. I encourage you as we sing these songs each and every Sunday, we're just doing this big corporate mezuzah. We're declaring God's goodness. We're testifying of who He is. We're reminding ourselves of how great He is and of everything that He's done for us. So we, we spend time learning these songs. We, we choose them carefully. We look through the words and we think, how can we lift the people of the, of the church this morning? How can we magnify the greatness of God? Proclaim His goodness. We're going to do that one more time in just a second. But if you would like prayer for anything today, then we would love to pray with you. Maybe you want someone to stand with you for your crossing the Jordan moment that you're facing right now. If you just want someone to stand with you to speak the goodness of God into your situation, then we would love to do that too. And if you haven't accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you want to, you want to partake of this amazing inheritance that He has for you today, then we would love to pray with you and to see that happen for you today as well.